You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. Hello, hello there, Disability After Dark listeners, and welcome to a brand new series that I'm putting out on the Disability After Dark feed that I'm so excited to share with you. Welcome to episode one of Tripology. My name is Andrew Gerza. I am your host. Let's get comfortable and into this new series, and let me tell you all about it. Welcome to the very first episode of Cripology, a series on Disability After Dark that shines a bright light on our disabled past. In this series, we will look at a bit of our disabled past, and we will see how disability was a part of our histories and we will explore how our disabled histories inform disability as it is understood today. And the goal is, the hope with this new series, is that you'll hear a new episode of Cripology almost every Monday in, in addition to our regular Saturday episodes of whatever I want to talk about. I really want to do this um, history thing, because history... And disability is something that I've been fascinated by. So I thought, why not just do a whole show about it? For my own amusement, really. And so that's what we're going to do. And I'm excited for you to come along on the journey and shine a bright light on our disabled past. For this episode also, I need to give a shout out to my friends Anna and Amber, hosts of a really awesome podcast that I stumbled on a couple month- a couple weeks ago, actually. And I cannot stop listening to it. And it's really kind of the reason that I was inspired to even put this series together. So I want to I want to give a shout out to Anna and Amber of the Dirt Podcast. Um, they, their show is all about archaeology and anthropology and our shared human past. And I have been binging that show for a, a while now and just really, really liking it and really, 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 really enjoying the way they explain the history of stuff and the and and just the way that they talk about our human past and so really and truly they are the reason why this little series has come to be but i want to thank anna and amber again for doing what they do with the dirt podcast and i would highly recommend that after you listen to episode one of cripology you go over to the dirt podcast on your player and have a listen for the first episode of Cripology, I wanted to look at something that has always fascinated me and always really made me kind of excited about um, history and stuff that I wanted to explore was the history of changelings and fairies. When I was a young kid, I loved the idea of there being fairies and dwarves and different different mythical creatures out there in the world, and I've always kind of been drawn to that. romanticism around changeling and fairies and all that stuff and so I wanted to look at the history of changelings and fairies and the more I looked into it I learned pretty quickly that there was a big connection to disability and one that we'll look on more in this episode so let's shine a bright light on changelings and disability today on the very first episode of Cripology let's jump right in First, I wanted to look at what is a changeling. And so for this, I took a quote from a Medium 2020 article by Kyrie Gray, which says, quote, 
A changeling is most often referring to a fairy who is swapped in to replace a human baby. The mortal child is then taken back to the realm of the fairies to be raised and put to work, while the creature left behind usually sickens and dies. Though some may live into adulthood, they are always thought to be strange by the locals. Okay, so right in that very first description that I that I read out there, I can see hints of how changeling were connected to disability with the with the with the discussion of that the creature usually sickens and dies. This would suggest that any baby with any sort of illness or disability may have been thought to be a changeling. Any disability or defect could be a sign that a ba- that a changeling took your baby and well this doesn't really bode well for disabled babies or babies with health conditions or babies who are just underweight. Doesn't really bode well for them at all. Susan Eberly, in her 1988 paper, Fairies and Folklore of Disability, Changelings, Hybrids, and the Solitary Fairy, says, quote, The changelings might look human but be slightly off due to lack of weight gain, a look of wisdom of the millennia in their eyes, or have abnormally sized body parts or faces. And again, you can really see the link to disability for any baby who may have some sort of condition or disability or impairment. I can see the parallels to disability right away. Also, taking from Susan Everly's paper, she says, The changeling was often seen as a response to a cretinous or diseased child coming into the family. Those who were born different or who became different due to congenital disorders or disabilities in what we now know as medical science. Just to give you some more historical context of how changelings happened, let me tell you all about that and let me just pull it up one second while I figure it out on my computer here. Let me get my notes. Here we go. Sorry, sorry. Um, in Germany, children with thick skulls were seen as changelings. And in Roman times, children were, with more visible de- defects were put up as sacrifice to the gods. The old term for children born with marked deformities was monster, from the Latin word monstrum, meaning divine, portend, or warning. This belief in a child born of supernatural was popular particularly from the Middle Ages all the way through to the 19th century, and in some cases from the people that I heard on Twitter and Instagram when I said I was doing this episode, some people said even sometimes into the 20th century. If the child was born with congenital disabilities, people believed that this was a result of the mother. Either she had bad thoughts or weird experiences before birth. In one article that I read, if the mother was frightened by monkeys at the zoo, it might result in a monkey-headed baby being born. Or, if the mother didn't do charitable things or kind things like help feed her sickly neighbor, her baby might be born without a mouth. The child's disability could also be seen as godly revenge against the mother for things she didn't do. 
we can see this kind of in statements when people say things like when they talk about disabled kids and they say stuff like what did I do to deserve a child like this we can kind of see that same sentiment like what did I do did I do something bad in a past life and I've heard people in 2020 in today's world say that about disabled kids and so it's funny how hundreds of years later that that kind of mythology still persists around disability. Changelings could also take the form of human, god, or human and demon pairings, or the more mundane animal-human pairings, human pairing like human and a cat would equal a baby with a cleft lip. So we can see how, you know, that makes me think about how many times people have connected disabled people to, you know, animals sometimes. And so I, you can see how this history of ableism is long in the making, just with these examples here. If the changeling was the result of a supernatural pairing like a god or a demon or a succubi or anything like that, the supernatural parent would eventually stake some claim over his or her child, as in the case of s someone named Silky, who returned to an earthly nurse to claim his son. The children of the godly or demonic unions traditionally bore a special sign of their unusual parentage, webbed fingers, scaly skin, stuff like that. When the Christian church began to interpret the birth of offspring with congenital disorders as a sign of supernatural and demonic intervention, both men and women had reason to fear for their lives if they parented or were even in the vicinity upon the birth of atypical newborns, animal or human. For instance, in Puritan New England in 1642, a young hired man was convicted of consorting with the devil and was executed when a sow bore a cyclopic one-eyed piglet. In Denmark, as late as 1683, a young mother was burned at the stake for giving birth to a monkey-headed child who was, in all probability, an, an, an encephalic, born with an incomplete brain and malformed skull. If a child survived infancy with a severe or mental or physical defect, it might also be viewed as evil. So, I have a severe physical defect. I guess I'm evil then, right? According to this. Martin Luther, who was a prominent churchgoer back in the day, labeled one severely, they say retarded here, I'm not going to say that here, severely intellectually disabled child as no more than as no more than massa carna massa carnis a soulless mass of flesh and went on so far as to recommend that the child be drowned so yeah you can see how people really felt about disabled kids hundreds and hundreds of years ago and how some of these beliefs still carry on today. I mean, look at the cases of the disabled kids that people people abuse and hurt, stuff like that. So while we can't talk about folklore to to 
justify this. The belief systems around killing and not keeping disabled kids are still very much alive and well. A lot of the stuff that I'm getting comes from Susan Eberle's paper, so I'll make sure to link it in the show notes for this episode because it really is quite good. Even though it was written in 1988 and some of the language that she uses to describe disabled people is not the greatest in, in today's world, it the, the references she has are pretty awesome. So I'll make sure that, that it's in the show notes and you can you can access it if you want to. Susan Eberly continues, The idea of the changeling was also seen as a response to grief of having a child with disabilities. Parents mourn the loss of the child they wish they had. There's no way that a child could be like this, so he must have been taken away or spirited away, is one of the quotes that she said in the article, which tells you how people really felt about disabled kids that they couldn't possibly have had a disabled kid. So it must be a changeling and it must be a fairy and it must be something supernatural because there's no way that I could have had a a child like this. As the process of grief continued, denial phased into guilt, often mingled with anger. And this meant that it was a lot easier for parents to commit infanticide and kill their child because they could use the changeling as the reason why. And so many families would have to make the changeling cry or dump its body into a newly dug grave in order for the the real child to come back. But of course we know that that never happened. And basically what would happen is they would just unintentionally, believing the lore, they would kill their child. There have been reports of people through putting their baby in the tide and letting the tide wash the baby away because then the changeling would run away with the tide. There have been reports of people throwing their babies into hot coals to burn the the changeling out of the baby um, and to bring their child back. Um, there were many, many, so many stories like this that I read within this article from Susan Eberly. It was pretty disturbing. Um, the lengths to which people would go to uh, to have their baby back, and also just really sad that they didn't ha- didn't understand that this was what their disabled child would be their whole lives, and that they had to rely on folklore and mythology to try to understand this stuff. It should also be noted that not all changelings died in infancy. In many of the tales from Britain and Ireland, the changeling is portrayed as an adult or even an elderly creature who must be tricked into revealing his age and who gives away his maturity when he plays the pipes or dances to a wild tune, addresses someone with a poem, or exhibits supernatural powers. Susan Eberly quotes someone that says, Mentally, intellectually disabled children were thus clearly taken for changelings, particularly children with hydrocephalus and cretinism. What caused special comment was the fact that they did not laugh or talk. This was interpreted, however, in the way of some modern mothers when they would say ambiguously, My child just won't talk. The changeling deliberately refrained from laughing and talking. 
If it could be tricked into laughing or talking, then the spell was broken and it was changed into the right child. The changelings were often male people or male babies and could usually be individuals with the following types of disabilities. Intellectual disabilities as shown by the people who, the changelings who grew, grew up into adulthood and didn't speak or talk lots and were really good with music and really good with certain things. Um, the changelings could also be people with cerebral palsy and I just want to read a quote that I found about people with CP. Hang on, let me let me find it and I'll read it out. A lot of changeling babies were said to have wild dancing fits and that can often be attributed to cerebral palsy because cerebral palsy causes the loss of various groups of muscles and the degree to muscle involvement will depend on the brain damage at birth and the location and degree of the damage in the brain. And so pe people would say that the changeling has a, a wild dance and that's often just connected to somebody with severe cerebral palsy. And I have spasms and stuff like that, so I guess I really am a changeling, hey? I guess so. But you can see how, how these disabilities were treated in terms of folklore. People with spina bifida, cystic fibrosis, autism, all these other types of disabilities were also seen as the possibility that your child could be a changeling because, again, they didn't have the medical science to back up what was happening, and that's what they often believed. But all of these disabilities included people who could be changelings because of a lack of growth, seizures, and being a wise old childlike figure when we look at intellectual disabilities or autism, and a lack of sexual maturity in some of these disabilities could also explain all the changelings being talked about as though they had childlike, impish features. It is worth considering the fact that certain children born with serious disabilities contributed to the notion that the realm of fairy is, quote, timeless. Often such children age very, very slowly. In some cases, a person in his 20s may look or act like a child of 8 or 9, when, while in others, the face seems ageless and remains virtually unchanged till in middle life. And, you know, this could also explain why when a lot of people talk to people with Down syndrome right now, they say things like, Oh, you're so cherubic. Oh, you're so angelic. They say stuff like that all the time when it comes to disabled people. So again, while we're not talking about fairies and changelings in today's world, you can see how some of these old attitudes have persisted today. Eberly also contends in her paper that it would seem that people with congenital disabilities were more often referred to as changelings, things like CP, things like hydrocephalus, stuff like that were, were considered more a changeling trait. And people with really rare disabilities or diseases wherein the parents had to produce the, wherein the parents had to reproduce in order for the trait to show would be considered fairies. So fairies were actually more rare than changelings, which is show, goes to show if you have a rarer 
a more rare disability, a rarer, say rarer really fast. If you have a more rare disability, you were a fairy, and if you had a more common congenital disability, you were a changeling. One of the things Eberly said, too, that if you were a changeling and you made it to adulthood, you may also be considered a solitary fairy, which means that, and that, that's a great band name, too. If you are, if you are like, queer and you're not with anybody, you should totally start a band called The Solitary Fairy. I'm here for it. Yep, 100%. Um, but she said that you could be considered a solitary fairy if you made it to adulthood and you had certain types of congenital dwarfism or costovertebral dwarfism, which is people with small trunks and normal limbs. So there were all different variations of what a changeling or a fairy could be, but it again speaks to the mythology around disability, some of that which still persists today. There were also reports of fairy doctors who you could take your your changeling baby to to determine if the baby was actually a changeling and they would just suggest torture like burning in the coals or putting them in the tide or stuff like that and it was just really, really horrible um, things that they would do to these babies but they would think they were saving their family from the treacherous fairies or changelings and that's just really, really sad. The parents of six-year-old Marianne Kelly allegedly in a dying state for six months prior to September 1850 turned from the dispensary physician to a Rose Creek, quote, fairy doctress named Bridget Peters. Peters seems at one point to have declared Marianne, quote, fairy struck and at another that the child was a fairy. She gave the girl verbena and foxglove in order that she be exposed naked outdoors for three nights on a shovel. This was done despite Marianne's cries being audible in the house. On the third night, she died. I think the fairy doctors and doctresses also give note to the kind of medical ableism that disabled people are forced to experience sometimes with doctors today in the 21st century who don't understand about disabilities and impairments and conditions and give us things, whether they mean to or not, that could actually cause us harm or because they don't understand disability or haven't been exposed to disabled patients, they do things that could really hurt us or suggest things that could possibly hurt us. So while it's not the same, the sentiment of doctors who don't really know what they're doing and who don't really know how to assist disabled people is pretty big here, I think. I could go on to read and paraphrase all of Susan Eberly's article, but I'll just leave you with the last paragraph because I think it's important. She says, The creation of traditions from amalgamation of myth, religion, and experience continues. All are important sources of imagery, and none excludes the other. Observations of unusual newborns and of children who, over time, became different provided a rich source of such images to the storyteller. The tales themselves attempted to provide explanations for differences which were otherwise inexplicable, 
answers for questions which were profoundly and painfully unanswerable. I also couldn't really find any sources where the fairy or the changeling was considered good. They were mostly considered evil, evil in everything that I read. And it was just kind of disheartening because that shows you the way people thought about disabled people and the way people had ableism through folklore, even back then, shows you that this history of of thinking that disabled people were othered goes long, goes, goes way, way back and is steeped in mythology and folklore and storytelling for hundreds and thousands of years. And that's terrifying. So, I mean, it just shows you how how quickly and easily ableism and mythology around disabled people can become entrenched and can be considered fact, even when it's far from it. One of the cool things that I saw after I was telling people that I wanted to do a story on changelings and disability was people were saying that those people today that live with autism and other disabilities had decided that they wanted to reclaim the word changeling for themselves and make it something good and make it something that was part of disability justice. And so I thought I thought that was really cool because I think to have that moniker of changeling kind of put all, put on your condition for hundreds and thousands of years as a bad thing and then being like, fuck it, I'm going to reclaim this is pretty awesome. So if you have autism or if you have other disabilities like CP or hydrocephalus or spina bifida or cystic fibrosis or whatever it is and you want to reclaim changeling, fucking do it. I think that's awesome. I'm a changeling then because I have fits of wild dancing and stuff like that and I and I you know they said CP was part of the changeling so I guess I'm a changeling yo but I thought this was a really interesting topic to explore for the first episode of Cripology and I certainly hope you enjoyed exploring our shared disabled past with me and shining a light on our disabled past with me for this first episode like I said you might hear more of this every Monday or every other Monday. I haven't decided where I want to put it yet, but you'll hear more of this on the feed at some point. Let me know what you want to do for Cripology Episode 2 by emailing disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and put in the subject line Cripology and let me know um, what kind of episodes you want to hear on a Monday for this series? What kind of history do you want me to explore? What historical things around disability do you think are important? And if you're studying disability in history and you want to be a part of that with me, let me know. I'd love to have you on the, on the series. All right, friends. So that's episode one of Cripology. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back soon for our regular Saturday episode. Bye, friends! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, 
and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021